They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry! Way downtown! Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Welcome to the Faceoff Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin here with you for our eighth episode. Uh, we'd like to welcome everyone watching right now on Facebook Live. Uh, thank you to everyone who's also watching on YouTube as well. We're starting to get into the video aspect of podcasting on top of the audio. And uh, we have a special guest for our eighth episode, uh, Matt D'Ambrosi. He's on the show with us today. Uh, Matt, can you just tell the people at home a little bit about yourself? Is this a job interview or? It might be if you, if, yeah. I'm, sure. I'm the kind of guy that shows up after some big news happens with Syracuse basketball. Former, cool. former talk show host at San Diego State, KCR College Radio, BDJ grad student here at the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications, and thrilled to have the opportunity to be here on the face-off. Thrilled for you, you to guys. be here. Glad uh, to have you, buddy. This is our first recording since uh, spring break. How was everyone's uh, week off? It was nice, man. I, I did not move from that couch once Thursday at 12.15 came around. I'm telling you. That's 32 straight games of basketball where I don't think I moved other than maybe go to the bathroom. Jeez. Did you go home or were you like around here? I was home in Houston, Texas with uh, mom and pops. Nice, uh, you know, some home-cooked meals and whatnot. It was much needed. Yes. I went up to, to Montreal to enjoy my break. Uh, I caught a uh, the massive snowstorm that was hitting the uh, the northeastern side of the world, and uh, we got hit with about 15 inches of snow, which is 40 centimeters for yeah. people at home watching in Montreal. I think they're only 14 inches in Houston. I can't remember. <laughs> Something like that. Maddie, did you go home, or uh, what did you do over break? So I went home for a night, and I honestly drove home in that vicious snowstorm. Wow. Uh, You're just, crazy. Just for a night, and got to see my family, got to see my brother. It was awesome. Just what I needed. Came back up, and I've been here in the Salt City ever since. You know who uh, didn't necessarily have a great March break? Actually, uh, I want you. You had a perfect setup for this. You should. You should say uh, it. Well, we were all enjoying March madness over spring break, but trying not to focus too much on the March sadness that is Syracuse men's basketball. <laughs> Just a big hot mess that we got to delve into, Julian. Yep. And I thought, you know what? We're the NIT. At least I'll be back from spring break in time to see them play more games, right? No, nope. no, they get eliminated in the round of 30, what, the round of 32 around? I don't even know how the NIT works. That's how sad this is. Yeah, get I don't, then I don't get think they get 64 was, teams. I think it might be 32. I think it's 32. Think so they get eliminated in the, in the round of 16 then. Right. Sweet 16, baby. Sweet, yeah, they made Sweet 16 somewhere. Uh, no, but Syracuse getting eliminated by Ole Miss uh, in the NIT. So brings an end to their season, which had a lot of highs. And a lot of lows. I was looking forward to marching around campus saying, we're number 69. <laughs> we're number 69. The thing, uh, Bayheim was complaining about how the team didn't get in. And people were making arguments about how the team had a chance and probably should have deserved to be in March Madness. 
You know what, Jake? I'm actually on the side that says they didn't deserve it. As much as I would have loved to have seen them make it, those three wins against top 10 teams, and I did say that they would probably get the benefit of the doubt, I'm actually kind of happy the committee said, you know what, we can't overlook those losses to Boston College and St. John's. Yeah, I thought they Among were... Others. I think they... I was one of the people who thought they were going to get in. I wasn't even that worried that they were going to get in. I just thought the committee would show them the respect after making the Final Four last season Mm -hmm. and finishing strong. All those bad losses came early before 2017 hit the calendar. But there was a clear argument against. And as we saw, they bowed out early in the NIT. Granted, maybe they weren't, you know, dying to be there. Yeah. But there's a clear argument against, and... The fact that, I mean, I think on every ESPN show that day was, were there any snubs? And I think Syracuse was the consensus answer. But at the same time, there was the committee had a good enough reason to keep them out. And I'm not going to hold it over them for the rest of ever. I'm already over it. I think they made a respectable decision. And we also can't forget about Syracuse's record away from the Dome, which I mean, was that, that, very that porous that and big bad. Big hit against them. Two and ten. Just you got it. You got to prove you can win away from the dome if you're going to play in a tournament that is not in the dome. Maddie, uh, how did you feel about the decision? Well, look, I don't think they should have been in, but I do think in retrospect it's interesting now to see teams like South Carolina and Wisconsin, who Syracuse lost to early in the season, survive and be be in the Sweet Sixteen. To your point of going two and ten and and not being good on the road. Look, I mean. They played Wisconsin in Madison. They played South Carolina at Madison Square Garden. Both those teams now beat, you know, Wisconsin beat Villanova. Mm-hmm. South Carolina beat Duke. Syracuse beat Duke. You know, where do you draw the line here? I didn't think, well, I should rephrase that. I didn't think they were going to get in. And I, I wasn't really sure if I would have put them in or not. I think the chips fell the, the way they did. South Carolina beating Duke in South Carolina, by the way. Excuse that me. That cannot be forgotten. Oh. By the way, that, that was a home game. That is that was a home game. Yes, absolutely. And we and we can get to that when we talk about March Madness. But let's let's focus on Syracuse while we got them. Get the depressing stuff out of the way, guys. This program is potentially heading in a very bad direction. Interesting, interesting. You say bad, not me. I I because I know what the top we're going to discuss. I'm just go in, go in on why you think it's bad. I've got my spiel, and it's a little long, but. Bear with me, all right? Yes. And I, I want to credit, first of all, Matt D'Ambrosio. I want to uh, preface it, welcome him on the show. The reason he's here is because he's the one who put this through my head and really got me thinking about it, and I think he's Conspiracy theorist? Uh, somewhat. Borderline. Somewhat. Nothing too crazy. No, no Area 51 going on here, but it is, <laughs> it is worth bringing up. Okay. And I'll start with this. Since, since we've been on this campus, right, since we've been students here, Yes. Naturally, we bought in to the Syracuse men's basketball program. That is the number one thing going on here in this small northeastern college town. Basketball is, I don't want to say religion like Duke, but it is the premier thing going on, especially for sports fans in Syracuse. No dispute about that here. Nope. You got 30,000 people filling up a football stadium for basketball games. That just just doesn't happen. Even more. It doesn't happen. And so... Earlier this year, you and I were there. We witnessed Jim Beheim win number, quote-unquote, 1,000. Yeah, right? it was a big asterisk. And obviously the fans here in this town generally accepted that it was win number 1,000. And I think you and I both agreed that, look, he's handed out opponents 1,000 losses. He is the second greatest coach in this sports history. 
and he deserves some respect. And that was the end of that. But I think, honestly, I'm admittedly a little bit embarrassed that we didn't dig further into why the NCAA gave Beheim these sanctions. Why does he not have those 108 wins that were vacated? And we are at Newhouse, the self-proclaimed quintessential school of all communication schools in all the land. And we didn't dig deeper into those violations. He did something wrong. And giving Beheim any disrespect in this area is just a big no-no. You don't do it. And we kind of sat here blindly as, as students and enjoyed the culture, enjoyed the program for what it is. But now I'm wondering if we made a mistake in not questioning what exactly is going on here. Well, I don't. How do you no, feel about that? I think that the way you brought it, I actually, I thought that was well said. There is a Jim Beheim in Syracuse is regarded as a god, and you know, we were at that game where he wins a thousand unofficially, whatever you want to call it, and people did not care. They said, you know what, we, we see these violations and we spit on these sanctions, whatever you want to give them to, to Jim Beheim. we don't care. Jim Beheim has a thousand plus victories to his resume now. He's a god here. And I don't know how the school reacts if you shatter it. And we're in a position now where Beheim is coming off a season where they don't make it to March Madness, not because of a sanction, but because of their own team's play. And they bow out really early in the NIT. And then when next year comes around, I don't see anything in Syracuse people to suggest that Jim Beheim will be treated any less than what he was given this year. Jim Beheim may still be considered a god. But do you know why those wins were vacated? Do you know, do you have the background on that? Do you have the facts? I don't know everything. I mean, I wasn't there when it happened. I wasn't. Me neither. I didn't dig deeper we're on all, that. We're no all one knows. Going into this no one really new. knows. We know what has been fed out there to to the media and fed out there in terms of stories, but we don't know. But I did some journalistic digging, right? Okay. And it was self-reported by the university, which may already raise some question marks. Maybe not necessarily. Always does. But the big thing was academic violations. Uh, there was some, the team would operate the students' email accounts, basically turn in their homework for them. And look, I, I bet a ton of schools do things like that all the time. We know North Carolina got caught, I'm sure. A dozen more don't get caught. And academics are, of course, important. They are student-athletes, not athlete-students. And you want them to have an education. But look, the guys who are going pro are going pro. You can't fight that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the end of the world. A slap on the wrist, maybe. I'm fine with that. But it it gets worse. There were also drug policy issues. Beheim admitted that they did not they did not report when a certain player or two or many more possibly would be caught using a substance that was on the list not allowed. That happened too. And again, that's a, that's a bad look for the program. But Beheim cooperated. He took his punishment. He was suspended nine ACC games last season. They were taking away scholarships, which is still hurting the team, by the way. Yes. This is still affecting the team. Absolutely. 
But you know what? Guy's been here for 40 plus years. He's a legend. It is what it is. But they came up with this plan, okay? They came up with this plan that he would coach for three more years and that would be it. And I didn't even mention yet the name Bernie Fine. Do you know anything about Bernie Fine? Do you know what happened with Bernie Fine? I've heard that name rumble around here and there. I don't think that's been brought up once since we've gotten here. And maybe it's not all that relevant anymore. They came to a settlement. He was not charged after the FBI did an 11-month investigation. But that happened. And Beheim was caught not necessarily lying, but maybe fabricating the truth a little bit, defending his assistant coach. And that's another piece of this puzzle that just can't be ignored right now. I think people know about it here at the university, and I also think that there are undergrads and graduate students who know about these things, if not to a great detail. But maybe it's just a, a fear thing, right? A lot of these students who have to go up to, who have to go, who have the opportunity to go cover, cover games with with Jim Beheim, they're not necessarily just going to throw that in people's faces. And I mean, I know you mentioned you mentioned Jim Beheim and 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 how he's regarded up at Newhouse. I mean, not to go into further detail, there's a few notable alums from who have come from Newhouse who don't who we 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 parade around and we celebrate as well they don't necessarily have cleanest resumes either they've done some stuff and I just I want to make something clear I want to get Matt to speak because yeah for sure he's our that's guest. why he's here but I just I want to make something clear this is not about missing out on the tournament or losing in the NIT look at I mean even the Kentuckys will miss the tournament from time to time it happens it's not a big deal following up a uh final four run where you lose the core of your rotation that's not the issue and I could also talk about how Beheim's coaching strategies are for the most part outdated they don't run an efficient offense but that's really that's really not what I'm trying to argue here the zone what I'm trying to say is when Mike Hopkins the designated coach in waiting decides to take off to go to a mediocre program in Washington no disrespect to the Huskies they have likely the top pick in the draft leaving their program just now. But I'm just saying, a guy who has been groomed to take over this position in this town that fills a stadium with 30,000 people for basketball games, all of a sudden gets up and leaves. And then within a couple of hours, the guy who he's supposed to take over for is suddenly extended. Beyond 2017-18. When there was a plan made for him to leave. I think... There are some strings being pulled here by Bayheim. I think Bayheim has an unreasonable amount of control over this program. And maybe, just maybe, him staying for the foreseeable future is not the best thing for this program in this next stretch run of four to five years. Way to drop the T there, Jake Laban. Uh, Matt, do you have uh, a response to this? Do you, well, I mean, a lot of these are kind of feel, fueling uh, Jake's argument. I was just curious about uh, your thoughts. Yeah, well, first, there's there's no way you can argue Jim Beheim's success here at Syracuse Absolutely. since he's been here. Absolutely. So that, that first needs to be stated. Absolutely. Definitely. And the way in which you get this perk that we're discussing in a way of being able to go in a way unchecked is by having that type of success, having players that come through and then go on and are successful, winning a national championship, going to Final Fours. But I do think 
that that's exactly what's been going on is that he has gone relatively unchecked. And, and Jake and I were talking about it. I do think it's funny that it's at an institution that touts itself as one of the premier, if not the premier, journalism school in the country. Also, with that, needs to be stated that, hey, we're students. We're trying to build relationships. Who's going to go to a presser? Look Jim Beheim in the yeah. eye. At, and, and do that. Not that's, me. At that's 18, a whole, other, 19 that's years a whole old, other thing as well. At 18, 19 years old and say, you know, what was the deal with the email accounts? What was the deal with the drug, with the drug tests? But I'd like to think that local media in town – Syracuse.com, WSYR, people that are quote-unquote professionals, that that work is what they should be doing. And that's not to remove ourselves from it, but I do think that overall there's been a lack of pushing the envelope when it comes to Jim Beheim. Go ahead. One other point to that about a lot of the local media that should be going out doing this, guys like Mike Waters, uh, Matt Park, uh, Dan Duval, add to that, a lot of them do work here. For the school. So I think that also plays... I mean, Dan Duva doesn't specifically cover basketball, but to my point, a lot of people who are doing the, the media, they a lot of play, they have a lot of hats. And one of them includes the University of Syracuse. And when you take all those things into collaboration, plus you take into the fact... And, and as Jake mentioned how he was getting some, some point talking points from me, I'm not above saying I, I've been getting talking points from a lot of other people, namely Pete Thamel from Sports Illustrated, who Absolutely. wrote... And what I think needs to be a must read if you're a Syracuse basketball fan, because I know how sometimes how hard it is when you're a fan to remove yourself from a situation and being like, hey, maybe the wool is being pulled over my eyes here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Jake mentioned it. Pete mentioned it. You got 30,000 people coming to a college basketball game in one of the coldest, snowiest places in the country consistently year in, year out. Right. Why are they coming? Well, they're coming because of the program Jim Beheim built. At the end of the day, we can't sit here and think there's any other result but Jim Beheim having the kind of leverage he does. I think Jim Beheim staying is ultimately going to hurt Syracuse basketball. We hear this all the time in sports. You saw it. I was actually thinking it could be Brian today. Jim Beheim, anything he's doing now, he's getting paid for what he's done, not what he's going to do. Maybe you guys disagree. I don't see Syracuse winning a national championship. I don't see him getting getting to a Final Four. You know, in the, Not in because the his team future. is ridiculously strong. And the one thing I've been hearing is that Mike, Mike Hopkins, he's been positioned as this, I think I saw somewhere good cop to Jim Beheim's, you know, rougher bad cop thing. Well, if Hopkins was the guy who everybody's been talking about being the recruiter, on top of that, Jim Beheim's getting older, you're losing Andrew White, who was your best player. I mean, you, there's so many ways to go with this, and I guess to get back Some on... Some of those players who did well for, for Syracuse this past year are graduate players. Right. For the foreseeable future, I think I think it's. I guess the question is: Did Syracuse basketball get better, or did they not? You have to ask yourself that as a Syracuse basketball fan. And if they didn't get better, with the, with what just transpired, if they didn't get better, I think as a fan you need to take a step back and ask yourself: Well, why did things unfold the way they did? If the if the if the administration didn't have the best interest of Syracuse basketball is going to get better because of this. Hopkins is going to go to Washington. Jim Beheim's going to stay. We're not going to put a number on it. I'm, I'm assuming today at the press conference some more details will be shed on it. But if John Wildhack's making that decision and it's not to make Syracuse better, well, what is it? Is it revenue? Is it 30,000 people filling the dome? You can't sit there and ignore that. I think, I mean, I think both of you guys put up really great points. Uh, all I can offer to this is that I just think that Beheim uh, feels he can go on for a few more years, and he wants to go on his terms. 
And I think when Mike Hopkins realized that that door for him to be the coach was not going to happen as soon as he wanted, he said, you know what? I'm taking my talents and I'm going to another job, going to another place that wants me. That being said, and this is a question I was thinking of asking you guys, Mike Hopkins takes over as head coach as Syracuse basketball. Let's imagine this world happens. Does And maybe that depends on the players, but does he have that same personality? Is he the same guy who could bring 30,000 people to a game like Jim Beheim does? Is Jim Beheim bigger, bigger than the program, am I saying? Jim Beheim is synonymous with the program. Yes. And I don't think you can just replace a guy like that who's been here for 41 years. Absolutely. He invented the program. It's just like the guy who has to fill Coach K's shoes is screwed because you're not going to live up to the hype. But is delaying the process necessarily your best option as an AD? I, look, I'm not questioning, like Matt said, Beheim's clear success. Can't do it. And I'm not even questioning the fact that he's earned the respect to be able to make the decisions he wants to make for this program. I well, agree. One thing we can say about um, Beheim coaching next year, he will not have Tyler Lydon. Tyler Lydon just announced, uh, courtesy of John Rothstein, a college basketball insider for CBS Sports, Lydon will sign an agent and will enter the 2017 NBA draft. So Beheim is coming back, but not Tyler Lydon. You got to sit here as a fan and you have to think. I mean, you, you like as a fan, you owe it to yourself. You have to think, right? I mean, you can't sit here and, oh, uh, why is Beheim staying? Who, who you know? If if Hopkins is the head coach, is Tyler? I mean, I don't know. You, you see what I'm? Do you see where I'm no, going? No, I see with where this? you're like, getting at here. And what other thing? You I have to look also... at all of these things as part of a bigger picture. You can't look at them necessarily as isolated events. How many guys out here in in college basketball really want to play for Jim Beheim? I mean, you look at all these different recruiting classes. A lot of people, a lot of five star recruits, a lot of players are going out to like Kentucky, Duke. Well, that was a, that was a point Jake had made yesterday. Is that the one knock you can't really Syracuse gets great players and they do they still get good players. A lot of the things I've been seeing though is that's largely in part to Mike Hopkins. Mike Hopkins. I don't. I'm not on that. How I'm much not in living rooms? Change? I'm not talking to parents. I don't know. But are they going to be able to get that same talent? I don't. And, and this is interesting. I'm glad that this just came up because Leiden is gone and. Now more dominoes are going to fall. And I think it all starts with Hopkins. I don't know that that I don't know what's going through Leiden's head, but that easily could have factored into his decision. Now, what do you do if your ties battle? But wait a second, Jake. Jim Beheim staying though. I mean, the man, the myth that is Jim Beheim staying. Why? Why would you not? Right? Why would you not want to stay and play for? Because him? I think there's something going on that Mike Hopkins knows, and that Tyler Leiden knows that we don't. And, and the question is, are people in this community, are the media outlets in this community, is that going to be the narrative? Is that, what, is that what's going to come out or not? Or is it going to be another, another Syracuse basketball season next year, let's pack the dome? Like Julian said, it's, it's all intertwined. Yep. That's, and what I was saying, Syracuse basketball is this city. Everyone associated with it, including the media, has a lot invested in it. And so, so be it. If that if that affects the way things are reported, the way narratives are set, then that's what it's going to be. And then I think it's up for people like us who are here for one year in the journalism school. What about the other ones who are also here out. three, four years as well? Those people also have that responsibility as well. I'll add that. Definitely not just the graduates. I mean, I don't undergraduates. Want to is, the undergraduates have been here longer, and it's easier said than done. I admitted we ourselves got sucked into it because it's fun. 
I, and I'm not going to sit here and be the the journalism cop or something like you know if you're <laughs> in Citrus TV like I said, but over time, the residual effect of all this is a situation that what we have now of which it just seems fishy, for better or worse. It just, Bayheim has a stranglehold on this area of the country, and he wants it done on his terms. I almost laughed when I saw that, you know. They said Bayham's going to stay on, and it could, there wasn't even a number on it. He, it's yeah, it's there's his, no number. I mean, it's just we all all we know is that beyond 2017, it had to be three years originally. I mean, that seemed like an arbitrary number. I'm going to stay for another three. Eh, you know, how did they land on that? How do you land on three? Now I wish we had someone who's going to be at this press conference. Yeah, me too. You have like live. Yeah, but you, you know, know what? I mean, look, I, not. Are we really going to get some good answers today? I mean, staying with this theme, are we really going to get some good insight? No. Textbook, wish Mike the best. This is where I want to be. This is a program I'm going to continue to run. I've addressed Tyler Lydon at the presser now, now that this news is out. I thank Jim Beheim for giving me the opportunity to be here on the bench with him all these years. We know what it's going to be. And and it's hard hard to get those real responses, and you're definitely not getting them at a press conference. But all of this investigative brain power here as at the uh, Harvard of Central New York as Sean McDonough calls it and I just don't know if, I don't know if collectively due diligence is being done we've spilled a quite a bit of tea on uh, this particular opening segment I don't think any this much tea has ever been spilt on in the history of the show we needed a good hot take and we, I, we needed got that one and uh, Matt D'Ambrosi we thank you for for joining us and we thank you also for fueling the fire under Jake Leapin's, uh belly because that was amazing. I, I I commend you for that. That was an amazing uh, set of discourse you had. All the credit over here to Young Deezy, the inspiration. Young Deezy. I like Go that name, Young Deezy. Fellas, I appreciate you having me. Uh, let's see where it goes. We'll be right back with way more to talk about here on the Face Off podcast. Stay tuned. Podcast episode eight, the Ocho. Jake Lapin here, along with my usual partner in crime, Julian McKenzie. Matt D'Ambrosi has left, but I want to thank him again very much. Great guest, great one of a one of the best so far in the Face Off podcast short history. We are still on Facebook Live. Uh, how's it going to all three of our viewers? However, the iPad is at ten percent, so we're gonna go until it goes on there, and then of course we'll put out the final recording when it's all said and done. Absolutely. But Julian, are you aware of what month it is? Um, the third month of the year, there's 12, January, February, March? March. Yeah, I think it's March. For sports fans, this is the holiest of holies of months on the calendar, March, where you are watching basketball, and if you're doing anything else, you are not my friend. And I'll tell you what, Julian. Yes. After a slow start, this year's tournament has gotten quite interesting. Absolutely. Quite interesting. Let's let's start with this. How's your bracket doing? I'm curious. Terrible. Absolutely give us, terrible. Give us the highlights. Give us the breakdown. Terrible. Um, I made two brackets. 
Uh, I have. Oh, you're uh, one of those people. Well, here's the thing. Oh, uh, yeah. I have a group of friends at home. We every year we do our own bracket challenge, and uh, the final fours in both of them are the same. But uh, a lot of some of the picks are different in both brackets that I have with them and uh, the ones I have with you and the rest of uh, our sports communications emphasis cohort. Uh, very quickly, shout out to uh, the Press Box Hattrick podcast. Uh, that's a podcast you, to, you can listen to at the Link newspaper in Montreal. Yeah, too many podcasts. Man. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, I helped start that podcast, and I was on their shout show last week. Shout out to Lil JJ, Jacqueline Mundry, who is currently dominating the New House Masters program group bracket. Well done. Shout well out. Done. Yes. Yas. Yas. If she doesn't even say, if she right? doesn't even mention anything about the shout out, then we'll know if she's listening or not. Absolutely. So there's that. No, but uh, yo, congratulations to her. I didn't even realize she was leading it. But to go back to your question, uh, my final four up until last night was still intact. I have uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Arizona, and Duke. And I thought Duke would have enough against South Carolina. They did not. South Carolina, as we mentioned in our earlier segment, played a home game. They found a way to defeat Duke. <sighs> but yeah, other than that, it's been swell. It's been really swell. I also am still kicking myself that I picked Maryland over Xavier. I had the finger on Z- on Xavier. I said I was going to pick them at the very last second. I changed my mind. I also thought Iona State would be this year's Cinderella team. That was a mistake. The- Not Iowa. Iona. By the way, for people who think I said the other one. The X-Men... Don't always dance, but when they do, they make it to the Sweet 16. Yeah, Something to keep in mind. But I'll, I'll tell you what. I was feeling pretty good after day number one. 16 <laughs> for 16 and letting my social media followers know it. Yeah, you were, you were texting me all about that. I, I was like, I geez, gotta, look I'll, at, look I'll, at I'll Jake Lapin, the jackrabbit with the humble bracket. I'll be honest with you. I was very pleased with myself. I, I worked hard. On my bracket. I stayed oh, up sure. during that 24-hour marathon. Sure. I watched what everyone had to say, compared my brackets with a lot of experts, did the ESPN Insider research, and I was feeling pretty good. Question. And then after, yeah, what? Question. The ESPN Insider research. Are you talking about what you can just get for free, or did you pay for the extra service? Well, I've, I've been an ESPN Insider for years, so I didn't Ooh, pay okay. this week in okay. particular, but okay. I, it right. is right. money flexing. money spent. You flex each year. It's really you're f- not. You're flexing. <laughs> You're flexing. <laughs> You're flexing. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yes. day two comes and goes. Thirty for thirty-two. Not bad. I'm, I'm. I'm still best I've done through a round one. Fifteen out of the sixteen of my Sweet Sixteen still intact. I lost SMU to yeah. USC. Yeah. A lot of people had that pick wrong. I mean, SMU hadn't lost the game since November. They had the nation's longest winning streak intact. I did not think there would be a first-round exit, and they had the game until they blew it in the final minute. And then you go to, uh, well, the round of 16 will be coming up in the next few days, but one thing that we've we've noticed a lot through this tournament is the officiating. The officiating's been... Uh, Has not been good. It's been poor. It's been poor. A few games have been decided by the whistle, and it should, it should never happen like that. And this do-or-die scenario, that's like one of the things that really gets you. And I'll defend basketball officials as much as I possibly can because it is the hardest sport to officiate. It is so arbitrary, foul calls in real time. But when they go to the monitor and mess something up, that's when Mm -hmm. I'm way less sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And there have been a few instances 
this tournament where games have been decided by decisions via the monitor that I was not okay with. Of all the calls that have been disputed to this point, which one stands out as the most egregious? I don't know. There's been a few. There There's has been, been a few. A few. Uh, There's been a few. And one of them, I was, my bracket was very thankful for, and that was UNC Arkansas. They reviewed oh. a play in which a shot landed out of bounds, an air ball, and it was there was no indisputable evidence that it was tipped, but the guy was clearly fouled. And you're staring at it on the monitor. I guess there's nothing they can do about it, but the Ar- Arkansas had UNC on the ropes. They were yep. ready to roll, and now would have officially put the ACC completely out of the tournament, and we, we're going to get to that in a second yes. and divide it up uh, conference by conference. But that one stood out. Right after the uh, the out-of-bounds play, uh, there was a point where a UNC player uh, charged up on, uh, I believe, on an Arkansas player. I thought that should have been called a foul at one point. Or I may have gotten the players missed up, but there was a charging call that I think should have been called that happened right after that inbounds play that went completely unnoticed by the yes. NCAA officials. Maybe not as egregious as that first one, but I do think that Arkansas, who still had a chance to win this game because of those two calls, they ended up losing that game, I think. But you know what? Off those calls. They won the first game versus Seton Hall courtesy of, I think, the call that was even worse. They were given a flagrant one on a guy who was lightly shoved. And look, by the letter of the law, I get it. If you are reading the rule book and taking it word for word, that was a flagrant one. It was not a play on the ball, and it was perhaps the tiniest bit excessive, yet still excessive. And then they their feet got tangled up, which made it worse because the guy hit the deck. But the fact of the matter is, this is an intentional foul. I mean, he was just he was giving a foul because he yeah. had to with the shot clock off, down one. And the refs should just be able to use common sense in that scenario. I, I firmly believe that. It's a fine line because then you could point to a lot of different things. But I think in that situation, when the refs were reviewing it, the guy was not maliciously going after someone. He was giving a foul because his team had to give a foul. And so, that ended their chances. So in a year where we normally expect every year to have madness from late-game heroics, big-name players, a lot of the madness in March Madness has come from the officials. More than there ever should be. More than there ever should be. Absolutely. And how's that going to play out in the round of 16, round of 8? Let's we'll hope s- they're getting all the mistakes out of the way. We'll, we'll see. Just in case uh, you don't remember who's in the round of 16, uh, looking from uh, the Midwest on, obviously Kansas and Purdue, uh, Oregon taking on Michigan in another side of the bracket, North Carolina and Butler. North Carolina, obviously, as you mentioned, surviving against Arkansas. UCLA-Kentucky rematch. Then you go to the other side, uh, Xavier and Arizona, Gonzaga and West Virginia, uh, South Carolina, not Duke, taking on Baylor. And finally, Wisconsin dethroning the reigning champion Villanova. And they will take on number four, Florida. Uh, of all the uh, the upsets and the uh, the losses that happened, any 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 big one stand out to you as the most shocking? I know a lot of people are looking at the Wisconsin one. They're saying, oh, that's yeah, not really an upset because Wisconsin, even though they looked at it as an eight, damn they good be, eight they're a good team. They should have been ranked higher. And I did not see Duke falling to South Carolina, but at the same time, that was a home game. That was a for home a game. seven Absolutely. seed. They benefited. And look, it's North Carolina state legislature's fault that they don't have, <laughs> you know, uh, good bathroom laws. But yes, 
still, a, a seven seed getting a home game, that, that certainly played a factor. They caught fire, and Duke, look, Luke Kennard played terribly. Grace Nowen played terribly. This is what people worried about but with Duke going into the But they shouldn't have to worry about playing in a stadium with 90% of the other team's fans. This was what people worried about Duke going into that tournament, where you have guys like Kennard and, and Grayson Allen who will play well at certain points, and then there are games where they just won't show up. Which is why that I, was would, a huge problem. I would rub it in your face so I, why I didn't put them in my Final Four, but I had a Villanova, so same difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the uh, That's obviously the Duke loss. That comes out as a big shot. I thought that UNC... As I mentioned earlier, I thought they would have been done for with that Arkansas uh, game. And as a result, they end up being the uh, the only ACC team that survives the onslaught. Yeah, and On the conference, that's supposed to be one of the best, in ba- either the best in basketball. And that's what killed my bracket was my ACC bias. One Being in, in Syracuse for one season, suddenly I think ACC is the best conference in all the land. And I, look, I... I I still think that. I think they had a bad showing in this year's tournament. But the other, I mean, look, they got one team that easily could have lost still standing. I thought Louisville would get past Michigan easily. Turns out Michigan has some destiny in, on their side thanks to a uh, plane mishap. Yeah, I think that's a that's great. They have that story where they, they narrowly escaped too much injury from a, a plane crash, and all of a sudden they've turned that into a run into – the round of 16, so I commend uh, the Michigan Wolverines for going as far as they have. I did pick in my PBHT bracket uh, Michigan over Louisville. I I might have gone the other way I commend in sports. you for that. But yes. I, I'll, here's, here's the breakdown of the Sweet 16 by conference, okay? Yes. You have one and one only from the ACC. The only other conference with one team is the West Coast Conference, WCC, and that is, of course, Gonzaga. The Big East has two teams. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 has three teams. The SEC has three teams. Dang. The Big Ten, which we've been harping on all year, <laughs> has three teams. And, of course, the Big 12, who I've defended for years and years now until this year, has three teams as well. So with this, does the ACC have any right to puff out its chest and say they're the best? I know you're saying that they had they had a really bad showing this year, but... With all this representation all across the board from all these other conferences, why does the ACC have to puff its chest? They, they can't be doing anything. And they can't be talking It's not noise. only the fact that they only have one team. It's that they were losing in the fashion that they were against these other teams. Louisville completely collapsing against Michigan. Mm-hmm. You've got Virginia getting blown out by the Florida Gators. UNC easily could have lost to Arkansas. I think they have no leg to stand on if they were to puff their chest out and say, we're still the best. How can you? And imagine if Syracuse was in that field. I, I mean, <laughs> we could, but that'd be hypothetical and for no for no good reason. Absolutely. They they lost to the SEC as well. At home. Yep. In the NIT. Yes, so, they did. So definitely. It's, it's happening in a tournaments <laughs> more than just the NCAA tournament. It's a sad day. Uh, to be a team in the ACC. Any of these matchups in the round of 16 you're looking forward to to watching the most? Uh, obviously, I think uh, probably the biggest one looks as if it'll be the number three UCLA versus number two Kentucky. Uh, obviously, we get to see LeVar Ball's son, uh, Lonzo. Uh, maybe we'll come up with more memes about LeVar Ball. Uh, I actually picked Kentucky to knock off UCLA in that matchup. I'm a big fan of uh, John well. Calipari. Uh, I know he hasn't been 
he hasn't been to the finals in a while, but I like how he's able to bring his teams to the final four on a consistent basis, more or less. So I think he'll have the upper hand this year up on UCLA. I think that game stands out as uh, the spotlight one of this Sweet 16 in terms of matchups with NBA talent featured. I think that'll be a big one that people tune into. I'm curious to see if Michigan can keep this run going, if they really do have destiny, or at least to what extent is destiny still on their side. And I'll tell you what, every single top seed has stumbled at some point or has looked vulnerable this way, except for probably Kansas. Yeah. And I did not see that coming. I, I picked I've them seen to win. Better, I picked them to win. I've seen better Bill Self teams crumble and fall in early rounds. I'm impressed what they've done. And now that Louisville's gone, Purdue and then potentially Michigan or Oregon, who's missing their center with an ACL tear. Chris Boucher, Montreal native. Had, course, yeah, I had to course, I connect yeah. that. Fair enough. Fair. I'll, I'll I, had to, I had to connect I'll that. Give you I also one. thought that that would have played a much bigger role in uh, their first-round matchup. That's why, I mean, I know I did say I picked Iona State to be this year's Cinderella team. You have to pick up sets in these things, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I went against the Oregon Ducks. That being said, they're still in this tournament at a, at a three seed. They still have a great chance. They have that game against Michigan, which you can check out later. I mean, URI gave them all they could handle. Absolutely. They were winning for the majority of that game. URI with an upset earlier this week. I wouldn't even call it an upset. Creighton had some injuries, too. I I, I mean, I I went perfect that day one. It's because I picked very few, yeah. <laughs> very few upsets, except for uh, Middle Tennessee State, which I don't even think was an upset. I think yeah, that, that, that was another one of those games. they belong in March. Absolutely. They also, funny enough, Middle Tennessee also upsetting uh, Michigan last year, Michigan State last year. Yeah. So in the first, they seem to be a lot uh, of returning players. They on seem that to be giant killers. Uh, is your final, I mean, I mentioned my final four uh, is no longer intact. Duke is gone, but I still have three teams left. Is your final four still in good hands? No. Villanova, gone. Nope. Louisville, gone. Damn. But Damn. my championship game is still alive. Then and that's I, awesome. And I still feel pretty good about it. Who's your championship game? I have North Carolina, hoping they can dust themselves off and realize what they did wrong. And Roy Williams said after the game, we got lucky. I think he knows. Mm-hmm. And they'll be I, – I don't look I, – I think Butler's going to be the, on the unfortunate end of a whooping after UNC almost lost to Arkansas. Whamp, whamp. And then I have Arizona with Gonzaga, the toughest – Test in their way, who I they beat earlier. Gonzaga beat them earlier, but they didn't have Will Trier, their uh, talented guard. Mm-hmm. And then once they get to the Final Four, it's in Glendale. I mean, that's a huge help, especially in a bracket where Villanova and Duke are gone. 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 I mean, who are they going to? I mean, Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor, South Carolina. I like Arizona's chances in a home game against any of those teams, provided that they make it. March Madness starting to heat up. Hopefully your brackets aren't too destroyed. Well, they probably are now, but still. There are 18 brackets, not even perfect brackets, 18 brackets that got the Sweet 16 correct. Out of nearly 19 million on ESPN. Everyone's bracket is gone. Uh, but you know, still more basketball to be played, and uh, looking forward to the games uh, coming up later on this week. Let's go from college athletics to the NBA athletics. While we still have our Facebook live up, uh, we saw it's at five percent, so we it may be soon time to say goodbye to every one of you. 
uh, all three of you. Uh, shout out Robert Schiff, who has just joined uh, the uh, the live stream. Uh, a happy belated birthday to Rob Schiff. Yes, happy belated birthday to you, Rob Schiff. Uh, let's talk about the NBA, and uh, we seem to be in a crisis with. Uh, well, this actually comes. Hap- this happens almost every year. There's a different point every year. This 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 point comes up, but the issue of resting players. You know, uh, the big three of uh, LeBron, Kyrie, and and Kevin uh, getting rest. The Golden State Warriors getting rest. And, yeah, you know, it's great. The players, they get themselves some rest. But what about the fans? Mark Mark Jackson during an NBA broadcast on ESPN was saying, what about the fans? Who thinks of those people? Right. Where do you stand on the issue of resting players? It's it's a complex issue. And at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, Sports are entertainment. There's no real societal function or purpose for why they're here other than just that, entertainment. Mm -hmm. But it's different. And I don't expect non-sports fans to get this, but I will stand by it till I die, and that is... It's Sports have just so much more meaning. And Mike Tirico came and spoke to us, and this is kind of what he was saying, Mm -hmm. is they bring communities together. Yes, I'm, otherwise, I mean, wh- why are we here? Why do we have a show? Why are we at a school with a program specifically catered to churning out professionals in the sports media industry? There's something else there. And the whole notion keeping all of that together is winning. Sports are about winning. So I don't give a damn about TV ratings or if Adam Silver is not pleased. If I'm Tyron Liu, my priority, my job, is to win a championship. And that being said, if resting your guys to keep them fresh for a playoff run, which I think we can agree is a proven tactic, mm-hmm. especially for a guy like LeBron who has amassed the most minutes played ever as a guy who is a perennial MVP candidate, who has gone to the finals Six years in a row. He deserves a break. Yeah. He deserves a break. And so you got to let Ty Lu do his thing, rest his players, because the fans know that the ratings and LeBron will be back in the finals, and that's what's most important. I love how you put it, especially at the end with the NBA Finals. Uh, While the biggest losers in this are the people who actually show up to arenas in places like Denver or Portland or any of the other markets in the NBA where only once or twice a year they get to see a guy like LeBron James or any other big superstar come to their venue. And that's in the case if they really need that rest. But I couldn't agree with you more. You know, speaking from... You know, if you looking at the perspective of a head coach or GM, you want your players to be fresh for the playoffs, especially if they're in a situation like LeBron where it's almost a foregone conclusion they're going to be in the playoffs and almost a foregone conclusion they'll be in the NBA Finals. Those same people who are watching at home and uh, are complaining that, oh, hey, damn it, I can't watch LeBron James against Denver, uh, they'll be back for the NBA Finals. But, yes, the biggest loser in all of this is are the fans who actually pay good money for tickets to watch these games. 
And unfortunately, that's just really how it rolls. I mean, if you have a player play every single game and they're clearly tired, but yeah, we got to do it for the fans, their performance is going to be affected. And they might not be nearly as effective. I don't know. I, I think that uh, while I do see the the – I sympathize with the common fan. I mean, we're at the end of the day, that's who we both are as well. I mean, we'll go to our respective sports that we perform. We'd love to see our favorite players play. And I'm sure we'll feel a little disappointed if we don't see them the one time we get to you know check out a venue. But that's sports at the end of the day. These athletes have lives. They have bodies to maintain. They have lifestyles to upkeep. I mean, it's just – the way it rolls. So I agree with you, Jake. I I get why fans in Denver. Although I'm not why I'm not sure why you brought up Denver necessarily. I just brought up I just brought up like a random <laughs> random market, just, just random okay. city. That's what I I yeah. understand. And look, you know, you got the guys in Memphis with the sign. I drove whatever twelve hours or whatever it was to come see LeBron James. Dude's on TV pretty much every night. You know. Yeah. Get HD, get a, get a 3D television. I mean, look. The, Granted, there is nothing like seeing them in, 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 real, bigger, per, in real time. It, in The real thing, the genuine article I mean, if person. you have the money to spend to get a good enough ticket, if you're in the nosebleeds, I think it makes no difference. TV's honestly a, a better view. But, I mean, that's a different argument. What, what I'm saying is get over it. Get over it. Dang. Because... LeBron in the finals is far more important to the sport than you, whatever you call people from Denver, Denverite, whatever. Yeah, Denverite. Denveronian. Was my, uh, I think Denverite is my guess, but we don't have anyone from Denver who can answer this question. You just—it's—you're not as important as LeBron making the finals. There's a bigger picture here. Find something else to do on your Saturday night instead of watching NBA primetime. And if you're like me and your entire sense of social life revolves around basketball, so be it. Get a look at the guys off the bench. But let Ty Lu do his job. Let him focus on what's truly important here. He should not have to give a damn about that random fan in Denver who wants to see LeBron. That's that's not his focus. That's not his priority. Let the man do his job. And I'm sure uh, that comment also extends to Steve Kerr. And Greg Popovich, of two course. other notable guys who have of benched their star players in the past, not giving a damn about TV ratings. Spurs will rest everybody and still beat your team with all your players playing. Let, let they they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's fine. Uh, I do. I still do feel bad for some of the fans. That being said, I do agree with your point about it is a business at the end of the day, and these players do need to get their rest. Uh, speaking of superstars who actually do get to play, uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, we all know he left OKC. Uh, we This is not an episode where we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook's MVP chances, as much as I would love to get into it. Uh, but that first encounter earlier in the year where KD returned to Oklahoma City, that was a fun time. You know, a fun game to watch just to see how those two guys played against each other. The drama was there. Uh, but what happened with Kevin Durant, as he came into that arena, obviously, he's going to get booed. People made those shirts with the cupcakes on them. Cupcakes. He's going to get booed. He's going to get all that fanfare from the fans. Even his mom wasn't even immune. His mom was in the fan, was in the stands getting abuse. The Golden State Warriors, who have complained about quite a few things this year, are not happy, were not happy about how Kevin Durant was treated 
heading into that game. And then they're going to be playing against each other really soon. Even though Kevin Durant isn't necessarily healthy to play, maybe he might still get something as he's warming up. Who knows? I'm just curious how you feel about the Golden State Warriors feeling some type of way about Kevin Durant getting all that abuse from the fans. You know, Maybe they should have done a tribute. Maybe they should have done something. Well, there's two different uh, facets to to the story here because I think uh, as as heartbroken as I would be personally as an Oklahoma City fan, like if James Harden got up and left to the Warriors next year, I, I would mean I, I don't even know You'd what be I devastated. would do. You'd but be devastated. You'd be devastated. At no the same time, he provided that city with so much. I mean, go back a decade, they didn't even have a team there, and he brought them one of the most successful runs and that any franchise has put on for a number of years. Consistently a contender. That doesn't just happen overnight. He spoiled them originally, and I think yeah. they should therefore be thankful. Look, I, I was even, like, I was happy that Dwight Howard got the hell out of Houston and it didn't end well, but when he came back, guess what? There's a video and a huge applause for him, as there should have been, because he was a big part of the community while he was there, and mm-hmm. Durant is still... Donating things to you know help kids and the tornado damage in Oklahoma City. He deserves the respect of that city for all he's done for them. And if he's not getting it, I understand why, so be it. And we could talk about that, but just for the record, his Warriors teammates have nothing to do with it. They shouldn't even be asked that question because it doesn't involve them. It's not about them. Nope. It's about Kevin Durant in the city of Oklahoma City. I agree with that. And I think that's a great point bringing up uh, the fact that he still does things in the city that turned him into uh, the superstar that he was. Uh, And and you mentioned, you know, he did all these great things for the city. I mean, OKC at one point had a greater embarrassment of riches at one point. And I completely understand the OKC fans' uh, frustration. You go from having a team with two... Outstanding players in, in James Harden and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka, and all you have is a guy who is a leading candidate for the MVP. But again, we're not talking about the MVP race today. Not, we don't have time for we that. We do, not have, do time not have time for that. that. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, uh, no one's above booing, but I do think that the Oklahoma City Thunder would have done a lot better if they had just commemorated Kevin Durant with you know a tribute. You know, you let the fans get their one little clap in. I mean, a lot of them, I'm sure, still appreciate what Kevin Durant did. I don't think the Golden State Warriors need to get to a point where they need to uh, whine and, and complain. I mean, they've, they already went to, to the league about uh, Shaq and all that. They don't need to be known as the, uh, the crybabies. So I don't, they, I don't think they need to be – when I saw the report about, okay, the Warriors are, are not happy about it, like why do we need the Warriors to not be happy? If it's one thing, if it's Kevin Durant who feels some type of way about it, we don't need the whole team to speak of it. I know they're all trying to be together. They're all trying to be one squad, but they don't need to do every single thing together. Yeah, I'm all about backing up your boy. I mean, you you go off and do your other podcasts, and I don't publicly shame you as, <laughs> as much as I should. But, I mean, at the end of the day, those Warriors' opinions are about as valuable as ours because it's just we're not involved. It's not between us. It's between Kevin Durant and the city of Oklahoma City. This is pretty much well said at that. Uh, did you catch uh, Russell Westbrook uh, being asked about uh, what? I think it was like James Harden being an MVP candidate. Someone said that uh, Steph Curry Steph said, Curry James, said Harden was the MVP. James Harden was the MVP candidate. 
and you know Russell Westbrook's like, who is he? He's playing dumb. I I was thinking about this earlier. If Steph Curry says Russell Westbrook is the MVP candidate, doesn't that look really bad on Steph? Doesn't that look like Steph Curry is, you know, because KD and Russell Westbrook still aren't on good terms, still aren't boys. Doesn't Steph Curry saying that that Russell Westbrook is the MVP, doesn't that make it seem as if Steph Curry is picking Russell Westbrook in the KD versus Russell Westbrook fight? I don't, I don't think so. I think that means he's being the bigger person and going above all this seventh grade drama that is somehow still going on and making news. Look, the reporter was fishing when he asked Westbrook that question. I think he should not have asked that question, and of course Russ should not have answered, who is he, referring to the two-time MVP unanimous last season and the guy who has just knocked you out of the playoffs last year. That's The reporter deserves some of the blame for bringing up that question, but at the end of the day, Westbrook should know better, and he's going to regret that if somehow they match up in the first round, which it's not really looking like they will anymore at this point, unfortunately. But that's just dumb, Russ. What are you doing? Stop trying to instigate. Look at you being a critique of journalism. You you go in on that first segment, and then all of a sudden you're all saying that reporters shouldn't be asking certain questions. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I'm usually not like that, but I guess today is one of those days. Do we have time for uh, one more topic we can throw out before we uh, we head on out of here? Think so. One last think one that I would like squeeze to squeeze one more in. Like to squeeze in, uh, the NFL free agent market is still uh, still going on. Free agents are still signing. Maybe not as hot as uh, the first few days, but uh, one notable guy who's still out there is Colin Kaepernick, who obviously was on the San Francisco 49ers last year. They had a terrible year. Colin Kaepernick still managed 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, before he was officially on the free agent market, he told teams he would stand for the national anthem. That being said, still out there. Uh, there was an article coming out from Mike Freeman of the Bleacher Report about it. He talked to a few GMs about. He talked to a GM about it who said that there's GMs who hate what he did. Uh, there are GMs who feel he just can't play, and there are other GMs who pretty much have a weird combination of both. The question I ask you, Jake Lapin, has Colin Kaepernick officially been blacklisted in the NFL? I'm torn here because I I just don't know the guy is proven himself in the past. He took a team to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he was a superstar at one point. But in the past two seasons, he's won just three games. And that includes a, a couple of stints where he was benched, flat out benched, yep. for Blaine Gabbert. I mean, is it possible that he's just not that good? And that's the story here? But what about the other side of the argument that says that the team he was playing with in front of him wasn't necessarily that special either? And even of if course, he went through course. a 1-15 record, his touchdown-interception ratio was still pretty decent. It should be enough to at least warrant a contract offer somewhere, even if not as a starter, as a bridge quarterback. This isn't a guy who went 10 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. 16-4 is pretty decent. On a 1-15 in team, and you're not getting a contract offer? I could think of a few teams. We just lost Facebook Live. We did lose Facebook Live just as we were going on and Colin Kaepernick. about to give my hottest take. Ugh, just kidding. Just kidding. No, but Colin Kaepernick, yes, he did not have the greatest. He, look, 16-4 I think is a pretty decent number to at least warrant some kind of contract to be a backup quarterback in this league. 
if we're going to be giving Mike Glennon how much money to be a starter up in Chicago, I think Colin Kaepernick should be getting some money. And, and that's worth noting is that, like you said, Mike Glennon already got the contract. There's still a couple more dominoes to fall in this quarterback market. I think teams that are desperate enough for a quarterback are waiting on Tony Romo and then possibly Jay Cutler. Yeah, that's true. That's but true. There I, are some big names that are still But I am surprised that Kaepernick has gotten more traction, has not gotten more traction, based on just that one playoff run alone, man. He was unstoppable. Absolutely. And I'm sitting here as a Texans fan with Tom Savage, the guy <laughs> ready to take over a top-five defense. I would give Colin Kaepernick a call. I wouldn't invest a ton into him, but if he's willing to play for the right price— Hell yeah, I'm giving him a call. I'm a Jets fan, and I think the Jets should take a look at Colin Kaepernick, but I also think that Woody Johnson, uh, the owner who likes to pull a lot of strings in that organization, is one of the many people out there in an NFL front office who don't like Colin Kaepernick for what he did. And because of that, if Mike McCagnan wanted to sign Colin Kaepernick, Woody Johnson would veto that. And what I'm going to say that. Out there. And what he did... There's two stories to that because sure as a distraction to the locker room and then it made NFL broadcasts focus on who's kneeling way too much, which is not what we want to see. But he also raised a ton of money for kids nationwide. He really did. Mm-hmm. I, he's, I don't think he's a bad person. Joy. Me neither. I think he has beliefs and he fought for them, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, look, I get it. It's the same reason why the NFL is trying to shun Joe Mixon right now, and I'm not at all defending what Joe Mixon did. What he did was horrible, and he probably belongs in prison. But that's not the NFL's decision to make, and they are trying to dissuade teams from drafting him. They're not letting him go to the combine, but they're letting him join the NFL. And what point are you trying to make? It's, it, it, the, it's, it's, it's Roger Goodell juggling a bunch of balls in the air, and failing miserably, as he always does, trying to get people to like him, which will never, ever, ever happen. I think it's, without a doubt, the worst commissioner in all pro sports. Oh, yeah, easy money, without a doubt. Joe Mixon, to that point, the NFL can do all they want. It's it's up to the NFL teams to say, to use their moral compass and say, hey, do we want to spend a draft pick on this guy? Weren't there, like, how, how many teams showed up to his pro day? Didn't he have, like, an individual pro day? Teams showed up. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I, he's he's probably a top five back in this class. There, one thing the NFL uh, will do, even despite your transgressions, if you are still at a point where you could play, you are young enough and you could play, you could ball out, the NFL teams will turn a blind eye to whatever you have. A lot of people will be like, oh, Ray Rice. Ray Rice was... What, late twenties, early thirties when he did that? Oh, the season That's... before he got kicked off was he did not have he did not produce at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that the what the incident with Ray Rice effectively ended his career. And at a running back, once you reach that t- late 29, 30, 31, if you're not already on that decline, it's coming. So that's what I have to say on that issue. And I think that's more or less what we're going to have to say on uh, episode Ocho of the Face Off podcast. Jake Lapin, what an episode. This is a good one. This is a keeper. This is definitely a keeper. This is definitely one uh, that needs to go up on Mixcloud, and it will go up on Mixcloud, and it will go up on YouTube. And uh, sooner rather than later, we will have that up on iTunes. I did tease it. It'll happen. Uh, 
And thank you to everyone who watched on Facebook Live. I know the episode uh, shut down just before we finished our takes on Colin Kaepernick and Joe Mixon. Uh, but thank you to everyone who tuned in at whatever point during the show. Thank you again to Matt D'Ambrosi for coming in as well. Thank yes. you to Shakora Mitchell for producing this week's episode. We usually have Jeremy Joshua, but he is gallivanting at South by Southwest. So I look forward to his stories when he comes back. I'm actually surprised Shakora is not out at South by Southwest. Apparently all the audio arts people are uh, having fun at South by Southwest. You ever been there? It's in Austin. Of course. I spent the last four spring breaks there. Damn. Yeah. Lucky. Uh, for Jake Lapin, I'm Julian McKenzie. Thank you for watching and listening to the Face Off podcast. <laughs>